Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Charles Martin investigates why the story of the deluge, the global flood of Noah, permeates nearly every culture in the world. And a little later, we'll hear from Dr. Larry Spargimino on this year's important gleanings effort. With just a few days left in 2023, the time for your year-end gift is now. All gifts given to Southwest Radio Ministries are income tax deductible and needed to keep the clear message that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things on the air. If you're able, please give today. Your gift can be given by phone, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can give through our website, swrc.com. Friends, thank you. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Now, here's staff evangelist Josh Davis with today's guest, Charles Martin. Well, let's get into the Flood Legends book. What audience did you have in mind as you wrote this book? I wrote the book when I was in college. I had to write a thesis for my major. And I was surrounded, I went to a liberal college, and I was surrounded by people who you could believe anything you wanted as long as it wasn't Christianity. Hmm. Well, you want to pray to various Hindu gods and burn incense? Great, you're welcome. You want to sit in complete silence for an hour as a Zen Buddhist? No problem. You think that the earth spontaneously created itself through evolution? Great, no problem. Oh, you're a Christian? Well, you need to let go of archaic ideas. Hmm. Stop being so primitive. And I guess I I lived a sheltered life before that because it just baffled me. The intellectual inconsistency that... You could believe any god, any goddess, any anything, but as soon as you believe the Bible, you are primitive. And I thought, well, that's that's inconsistent, that's hypocritical. And, and I had a real moment, though, before that, where I kind of went, well, is that true? And I took a deep dive into the Bible. I took a deep dive into creation science. I took a deep dive into other, other religions, not, not joining them, but looking into them. And mm-hmm. the more I looked, the more the truth of Scripture came out. And I said, you don't have to check your brain at the door. To believe the Bible. You don't have to be a moron to believe the Bible. Right. And I said, you know, I think I want to write something that, that takes a quote-unquote educated and scholarly look at biblical text, and instead of beating people over the head with the Bible's true, the Bible's true, saying, here's what all of these religions say. Here's what all of these cultures say. Here's the physical evidence we have that supports what the Bible says. You don't have to check your brain to believe this. And so my primary target audience was atheists Mm. or people who were, I'll say, so open-minded their brains had fallen out. Yes. They were willing to accept anything and everything but the Bible. Mm. And to say, no, 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 look, look at what the evidence actually points to. Let's look at the scholarly evidence and see where it points to. Instead of Bible thumping, we'll just look at everything else and go, and it points back to this. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, and that removed all of the objections. The objections were, well, you're using the Bible. Okay, well, I used all kinds of texts, right. including Hindu texts, mm. that I translated myself, which is another argument. Well, you don't know what the Bible meant because it's been translated. Okay, I'll translate this myself, and I'll show you what it says, and it supports the Bible. That was my primary audience, all of the people who, who scoffed at the Bible because it was primitive. Yes, and that's a great approach. The book that I wrote is called Fake Jesus, and that's what my first part of the book is just all about really drilling down to follow the evidence where it leads. Here's the evidence. Mm -hmm. Look at it. 
follow these things where it goes. If you want to be intellectually honest, you've got to follow the evidence where it leads. And yet so many people who are uh, what I call pseudo intellectual because they say, you know, we're so smart, we're so evolved, we've arrived. And yet they're not willing to examine the evidence. They're not willing to take a hard look at the facts. They just dismiss it at the door and and say i'm i'm on to something else so i think that that's a wonderful approach and how you take that trying to bridge this gap between the head and the heart and, and really appealing to their mind and really appealing to their intellect to consider these kinds of things and you're talking mainly about the flood of noah and of course you look at all the other various flood accounts flood legends And you use the word myth in a different way than I've heard it used before. How do you define myth in your book? My use of the word myth has gotten me in in trouble. I'm afraid to say a lot of Christians, they don't like that I use it. But the Greek word myth just means story. Mm -hmm. In our modern language, we, we take it to mean, you know, usually religious fairy tale. And so we refer to Greek myths. We refer to Norse myths. But myth really just meant story. And it could be true, it could be false, it could be a blend of truth and, and fiction. I tend to use it broadly. Mm. I let the stories themselves give credence to whether they're true or not, mm. and, and just use the word myths to describe them because that's what they are, they're stories. So what's the relationship between myths and history? How do we discern what is a true story, a, a true myth? versus a fairy tale kind of a myth. The relationship between myth and history is, is complicated. It's very intricate and detailed. But the way I, I tend to look at it is there are two different types of myths. There's what I would call a, a myth of event, that is something that has happened, and a myth of nature that describes why something we observe happens. So, for example, and I think this is the one I use in the book, is the myth of Apollo's chariot to explain the sun going through the sky. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that the sun's not a chariot. We know that. We've taken pictures. We've flown past the sun now with our probes and, and taken pictures, and we're quite comfortable with the fact that it's not a guy in a chariot. News of event, though, are not so easy to discern, and that's where it does get complicated because as people, we tell stories, myths, if you, if you want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we tell stories that happened and sometimes we tell stories that didn't and you know maybe we do that for entertainment maybe we do that because we're lying for some reason maybe we're blending the two because there is a history that happened but we can't go back to the source and our kids ask us questions as we're telling the story and i'm talking about throughout history not personally but Mm -hmm. but kids ask questions right they ask a question you can't answer it you can't go back to the source so you kind of make up the, the answer, right? If, if we were to take the flood legend and we were to say, you know, Noah's going to tell his grandkids about it, it's probably pretty accurate. But eventually Noah dies. And those great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids, well, they've heard the stories, but they don't remember all of them. And they can't go back and ask because, because he's dead. And so they're going to fill in gaps the best they can. And then you're going to get a few more generations, and you're going to get kids asking more questions. Well, which mountain was it? Well, by this time, families have moved. They've spread out. They're gone. They're not even, they're not even in, in Mesopotamia anymore. 
they're going to point to the nearest mountain out of their window and go, it was that mountain right there. Well, now your mountain just changed, right? Mm -hmm. Discerning the truth of it can be really, really difficult. That's when I like to go back to common sense. If I'm reading a flood legend and I'm told that two people were on the boat and that from those two people, the rest of mankind came, I'm going to go, that's probably unlikely. But if I have a boat with eight people on it and I'm told the rest of mankind came from those eight people, that's a whole lot more likely. Which one intellectually, right? Setting aside faith, setting aside Christianity and the Holy Spirit telling me the Bible's true. Setting all of that aside, which one am I more likely going to pick? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the one with eight people. Do I pick the tiny cube that's six feet by six feet by six feet? Or do I pick the massive boat that's the size of nine railroad cars? Yes. I'm going to pick the big one, right? It's very tough, and it's, it's not an exact science, and I, I'm never going to claim it is, but it's not impossible either. We're talking with author Charles Martin Jr. about his book, Flood Legends. And you can reach our ministry at 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or by visiting us online, swrc.com. One of the important concepts that you introduce early in the book and that continues on throughout the majority of the book is the concept of a telephone mythology theory. Uh, What is the telephone mythology? I don't know that I I actually came up with this. I think other people have probably come up with it, but I delve into it because I believe that's a very true part of our history as as people. The game of telephone is when you have a group of people sitting in a line or maybe they're in a circle and one person whispers something to the person next to him or her, and that person whispers to the next and the next and the next and the next and all, all the way around the circle or all the way to the end of the line. And then the last person says, here's the statement, and inevitably it's changed, right? Maybe not a whole lot. Maybe it is a whole lot. Never completely. It's never 100% different. You might have, I don't like ketchup on my hot dog, turns into, I spilled ketchup on my shirt. That's why I don't like it on my hot dog, right? Things are going to change, but things are also going to stay the same. This really plays into the idea, the, the argument that all of the flood legends in the world were just made up, right? That would explain the differences, definitely, but we see very specific details that appear all over the world. I mentioned eight people in the boat, right? That's in the Bible, it's eight people. In various North American tribes, it's eight people. In India, their flood story has eight people. You have eight people all over the place. That doesn't make sense if they all just made up of the story. It doesn't make sense that almost every flood legend has some sort of animal checking for land after the end of it. There are just so many of these details, the boat coming to rest in a mountain. Oh my gosh, mountains are all over the place, mm-hmm. including areas of the world where there aren't any mountains. Their flood stories have, have the boat landing in a mountain. This only makes sense if it were a real event and it were passed down from generation to generation to generation. And then people say, well, yeah, but they're so different. Well, yeah, that comes back to what I was just talking about. The person who survived it died. Noah died. You can't go back to the source to find details. You're going to change it. You're going to make up stuff. You're going to get things wrong. Maybe it's not even an intentional change. It's just just a change. And telephone mythology is the only thing that actually explains both the similarities and the differences. And I think it's a crucial part to understanding our history. 
We're speaking with author Charles Martin Jr. about his book, Flood Legends. And again, you can reach our ministry at 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting swrc.com. What are some of the more popular flood legends that you discovered through your studies, perhaps from other cultures or other ones that you saw in your research? I think one of the most well-known ones is, is Deucalion and Pyrrha, which is, which is Greek. But to be honest with you, I actually find that one really boring. Hmm. Um, it's basically two people end up in a box, and then when they're done, they throw rocks, and the rocks become people. Hmm. Generally, the story of it. For some reason, that one has become very popular. One of my absolute favorite ones, though, is the story of Manu and the fish, and that, that comes from India. And we're told that Manu was a pious and righteous man who, because of his holiness, could stand on one foot with his arms outstretched, soaking in water for a thousand years, right? <laughs> Utterly ridiculous stuff, but, but really interesting. And one day he rescues a fish because the fish swims up to him and says, I'm going to get eaten, save me. And he rescues a fish, he feeds it, he takes care of it, he talks to it every day. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And then it reveals itself to be his God Brahma. And he says, I'm going to flood the earth and I want you to build a boat and I want you to put the seven rishis and the rishis in Hindu mythology were sages that kind of appear here and there throughout mythology. And I want the eight of you to get on this boat, and you're going to survive this this flood. And I did translate this myself, and so in the Hindu version, there is no doubt the earth was flooded. It says that the only thing that existed was sea and air, right? That the, the ship was reeling in the storm and being tossed about, and there's no question that at least the Hindus believed it was global. And then it's his job, along with the Rishis, to use their holiness to recreate everything. Plants, animals, you know, other people, all of that. I think what I really like about that story was it is so far removed from the Bible, but it is so very similar to the Bible, right? Mm. Manu is, is the Hindu version of Noah, right? Noah was a righteous man who walked with God. Manu while I certainly don't believe that a man could stand for a thousand years on one foot, in Hinduism, that proves his holiness in their works-based society. That proves his holiness. He is their version of Noah. There are eight people on the boat. They pack the boat with the seeds for eating and replanting. The earth is flooded. It's a huge, massive, chaotic storm, which... We actually read in Genesis, the word is mabul, it's not flood, it's actually cataclysm. It's where we get the Greek word for cataclysm. Mm. And it's just the parallels between these two completely separate cultures were just astonishing to me. And I think that's probably why that one's my favorite, because it's very hard. In fact, my thesis advisor was a, was an atheist. She was a, a an open lesbian and hated everything Christian. Mm. And she read my thesis and she said, well, it's it's a little more religious than I would like. She said, but I can't get over the fact that there were eight people on the boat in all of these cultures. <laughs> and while that is certainly not a win, a win would be her coming to Christ. That was a small battle, you know, to step in the right direction, at least. Yes. She tried so hard to intellectualize her way out of that one, mm. and she just couldn't. She couldn't do it. That was a little bonus. <laughs> she noticed that and went, I can't, I can't argue that. Yes. So do you have a favorite? Well, the one I like the best is, of course, the scriptural one, but uh, I found it fascinating because I had not really read a lot of the flood legends. And so when I was reading your book and going through it, just the similarities between the two, 
I don't know why this is, but I always like to see similarities between things and, and differences and, and compare and contrast. That's just the way I'm wired, I guess. But that's one thing that stood out to me was just how similar it was. And one thing that I remember reading a book that was describing uh, someone giving the reason for why they believe what they believe, almost an apologetics book. But when they came to Noah's flood, they really began to equivocate and say it was just a local flood and we're not denying biblical authority by saying it was just local. But again, reading through your book and others seeing through across the world, we're seeing all of these stories about a global flood, not just a small local flooding, but as you said, that cataclysmic kind of event. So that was very fascinating. Is there a next step that if someone's interested after they've read your book, a, a next step maybe that you would guide them to go to, to study these things some more, to dive into the flood and understanding how these things took place? My colleague, Nick Ligori, wrote a book called Echoes of Ararat. He actually let me read it early before it was published to give some feedback on it. And, and as I read it, I kept saying, man, I wish I'd had this book when I was writing mine, because mine would have been easier to write. He collected some 300 different stories, flood stories, just from North and South America. Wow. Just the two continents. They're great. He did the hard work, too, of cutting out stories that had very clearly come from Christian missionaries imposing the story into that culture. He tried to stick as best as he could with, with the stories that just originated within those cultures. And the number of stories that parallel aspects of the biblical flood just, to me, just just absolutely prove that the biblical flood happened and was, was spread throughout cultures. A wonderful book, yeah, Echoes of Ararat. Charles Weave, thank you so much for joining us on Watchmen on the Wall. Thanks for having me. The story of the deluge, or the global flood of Noah, permeates nearly every culture in the world in some way, shape, or form. While details vary between the different cultures, the same basic elements occur in all versions. In the book, Flood Legends, you'll discover detailed analysis of myth, legend, and historical details that are clues for a common global event. You'll also discover unique research from a comparative study supporting the biblical history. Order Flood Legends by Charles Martin today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. Flood Legends, 1-800-652-1144. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, comes now to share some important information about our current gleanings effort that's underway. Hi, this is Pastor Larry Spargimino. You hear me on a regular basis on your Watchman on the Wall broadcast. You also see me on YouTube. The broadcast is called Headlines from the End Times. I've also written a couple of books and hope to continue doing so as the Lord enables. Southwest Radio Church is on the move. It really is. I've been here with this ministry for some 25 years. We've come a long way since then. Many know me personally, others only from the radio or YouTube. But thank you for your faithful support to keep this ministry going. 
We receive no funds from the government or from denominational headquarters. Thank God for that. We capture the vision, we share it with you, our listening audience, and you freely give so we can bring the vision to fruition. And we've seen that happen so many times in the last several years. Gleanings is an important endeavor for us. The precedent is in Scripture, Leviticus chapter 19. God's old covenant people were told not to wholly reap the corners of their fields, nor harvest every grape. In other words, leave some for those who have special needs. In other words, we are to think of the Lord, to think of his servants, to think of those who are doing the Lord's work. As we come to the end of our old year and move into the new, we look to you for your help. Growth in a ministry is a good thing, and we are growing. We certainly do not want to stagnate. If there's no growth, there is ultimately death. Many years ago, one of my students at Grand Bible College used to keep us on the air. Matter of fact, he faithfully worked the midnight to 8 a.m. shift. A lot of things have changed since then, and there are growing pains. A new TV studio expanding our prison ministry and the ministry to Pakistan, filming in Israel, additional staff, many more things as we seek to update and to be able to reach more people with the blessed Word of God. If you are even slightly aware of current events, you know our nation and world is in deep spiritual warfare. Jesus, of course, is the answer to all of that, and we firmly believe that about the Lord Jesus. One day, Jesus entered a synagogue, and the scripture records, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Nations spend billions of dollars a year fighting military battles and campaigns, but the real battle is with the powers of darkness. Satan has captured the hearts and minds of world leaders. I think that's becoming more and more evident. They have become puppets. Satan is pulling the strings. One of the greatest demonstrations of this is the unbelievable anti-Semitism that is becoming more and more evident worldwide. Even America's colleges and universities justify what is essentially racism. Now, I thought racism was forbidden in America, but it is alive and well in America and all over the world. This past April was our 90th anniversary, 90 years of preaching the prophetic word, warning parents of the dangers in our culture, affecting children, and presenting Jesus Christ as the way, the only way, that is certainly a non-negotiable with us. We certainly don't want to plateau at this critical hour. We want to move onward, upward, and forward. And we can only do that with your help. You can call us at 1-800-652-1144 or make a donation online, swrc.com, or stop by the main office in Bluff City, Tennessee, or the office in Oklahoma City. Pray for us and give as the Lord enables. That's my appeal. 
Prophecy, of course, is not the only thing we talk about on our programs, but I am looking forward to what we call the rapture. All Christians who believe the Bible believe the rapture. We may have some different views about its scheduling, but you can't miss the rapture in the Bible. It's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 and following says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. More than any other single topic presented in the Bible, studying the end times has helped me understand the whole Bible and also current events. And perhaps most important of all, studying the end times has increased my evangelistic and missionary zeal. We need that zeal as we reach out to a lost and dying world. Yes, Jesus is coming back, visibly and personally, the same way in which he left. Acts 1.11 says, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Acts 1.11 Please pray, friends, about your year-end gift to Southwest Radio Ministries, large or small. God looks upon the heart. He knows what you can do and what you desire to do. We are coming up to a presidential election. The wind and the waves are raging, but as we say, God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. My wish is that God would bless you and your families. Man is confused and wandering in darkness, but Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light is still shining brightly. Our precious Lord said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He meant what he said. And he says what he means. You can trust the word of God. How glad we are for that. He has no hidden or secret motive or agenda. He's not trying to rip us off, but he does want to encourage us. I'm not the least discouraged in all the confusion. I'm not looking for the undertaker, but for the upper taker. Imagine a time coming soon to our planet that will change everything and everyone forever. Imagine ordinary people, pretty much like everyone else, wherever they may be, loving, laboring, and longing. People all over the world. On that day, billions of people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, celebrating birthdays, battling sickness, digging graves. Some will be getting up. Some will be going to bed. I wonder what the headlines will be on the morning of that day. Wars and rumors of war, earthquakes, famines, great speeches that deceive many, new laws and old lies, new dilemmas and new problems, nation rising against nation. But wow, here comes Jesus for his church. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Discover the global clues of a common event in Charles Martin's book, Flood Legends. Charles Martin investigates why the story of the global flood of Noah permeates nearly every culture in the world. Order your copy of Flood Legends today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order at our website, 
swrc.com. Tomorrow, we join the search for the Ark and the mysterious ashes of the Red Heifer. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.